0: everyone to today's webinar. We're here today to talk about how COVID-19 has impacted the mental health of children and young people and what we can do to help. My name is Rani Kumar. I'm the head of policy and campaigns at NAPCAN and it's my great pleasure to welcome you all. I'm speaking to you today from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora nation in Sydney, New South Wales. I'd like to acknowledge these lands and pay my respects to elders past, present and future and to extend that Respect to any Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander colleagues that are on this webinar today. And in National Child Protection Week, I'd really like to acknowledge the children because that is where the culture will live on. So we're here today as part of National Child Protection Week. It is our final webinar for the series, and I'm really glad to have you with us. The theme for this year, if you haven't heard it already, is to treat all of Australia's children fairly. We need to be sure that every family and every community has what kids need to thrive and be healthy. This theme came from a collaboration between the Telethon Kids Institute and uh, Frameworks Institute around the core story for early childhood development. The theme really is about building systems and community supports that can enable children and young people to thrive now and into the future. But we can't have a conversation about supporting children to thrive and without acknowledging that we're in very difficult and challenging times right now. In the midst of this pandemic, the ongoing restrictions and lockdowns, there is a significant stress on families, particularly on the mental health of children and young people. The impacts of this will be seen for years to come, but today we need to acknowledge that there is a much greater need for us to work together to emerge from these challenges in a way that allows us to centre the wellbeing and safety of children more than ever before. Good mental health is a key cornerstone of this. So in this webinar today, we have some great experts, a great lineup to talk about what they are seeing in their work with children and young people, and some really practical strategies that we can all take away and implement in our work and in our lives. We have Tracy Adams from Kids Helpline, Dr Ali Fogarty from the Murdoch Children's Research Institute, and Dr Elizabeth Seeley-Waite from the Children's Psychology Clinic. But just before I can get to them, I'll quickly run through some logistics for today's webinar. If you run into any technical issues, please contact our team. They've left their details in the question function for you. You, the audience, are in listen only mode, which means you can't turn on your mic or your camera, but we're really keen to hear from you. There is a questions function. Please keep sending your questions through throughout the session. We'd love to hear from you and we'll try to get to as many questions as we can, despite there being quite a few of you online today, over 600 so far. Um, When the webinar finishes, or if you need to hop off early, you will get a short feedback survey, which will open in a new window. We really appreciate your feedback, so please take the time to fill that in. Though today, I would highly recommend you stay till the very end of this one, as we have a special treat, a video by Maggie Dent that she's made in support of National Child Protection Week 2021, and which hasn't been posted online yet, so you'd be the first to see it. Just one last note before I bring on Tracy, Some of the topics and content that we cover in the session today may be sensitive or a bit difficult to upsetting. Please do take care of yourself. Um, If you need to step away or if you need to mute us for a little while, that's perfectly okay. Nobody will even know you've done it. It's really important to look after yourself while participating in this discussion. We've posted some helplines and support services in the chat box as well, if you need them. So we're going to start with Tracy Adams. Tracy brings a wealth of experience and more than 30 years with Your Town or Kids Helpline. She's appointed CEO of Kids Helpline in 2008 and we're looking forward to hearing from her. Over to you, Tracy.
1: Well good afternoon, thank you Rani and good afternoon everyone, it's it's a great privilege to be here. I I always enjoy Child Protection Week and I think this year there's a particular meaning and a depth to Child Protection Week that's so relevant to what we're seeing. I I too acknowledge the traditional custodians of land on which we've gathered and pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. And can I acknowledge everybody who's involved in child protection and I think that extends to professionals and increasingly to mums and dads homes right around the country who are really dealing with significant stresses um, and the way that the pandemic and the enduring nature of the pandemic is taking an impact um, on young people. So just for context, uh, I'm sure that many of you would be aware, uh, Kids Helpline provides 24-7 professional counselling support to children and young people aged between five and 25 nationally, uh, across multiple channels. And unfortunately, this year we were able to celebrate 30 years of Kids Helpline in between lockdowns. So we did manage to get a a brief celebration and in recognition of the more than 8 million responses that we've made um, since we started the service. Uh, I'm going to share with you some of the insights about what our counsellors have been seeing, dealing with and what young people are presenting with But before I do that, I also want to really acknowledge young people. We've spent a decade working to to break down the stigma associated with mental health, promote help seeking, and we are really starting to see the benefits of that in the way young people seek seek to use resources and reach out to counsellors. And when I share with you the numbers, I just ask you to to put it into that context, that framing of the courage, the strength and the resilience of young people to truly embrace help seeking and to understand where they're at and how they can certainly make changes to how they're feeling and managing different situations. I think the other thing for me and and I'm sure we've we've all heard the term, the new normal. Um, I don't think there's anything normal about the environment that we've been in and certainly from the lenses of children and young people who are presenting to young people, I certainly hope this is not our new normal because this normal is is, is a normal where there are stresses, where there's isolations and where the enduring nature of young people being socially isolated away from the things that they know, love and care about is certainly making uh, making a a, a very big impact. Um, I guess for us from the pandemic side of things, we certainly started to see an increase Uh, once the pandemic started in 2020. So traditionally, Kids Helpline would receive about 32,000 contacts a month from young people. Um, When the pandemic started, uh, we really now average about 42,000 a month. Uh, So sizable numbers of young people reaching out for support. What we do see is the level of distress increasing in young people. So at the beginning of the pandemic, young people really sought help To just understand what was going to happen they were genuinely fearful for their families they were fearful about what was going to happen to them and there was particular concern in in relation to to matters like their grandparents being what would it mean we're we're, we're seeing images from overseas that were deeply distressing for young people but as the pandemic has has moved on and, and enforced lockdowns and the removals from school and those social isolations have taken shape and form we've really seen distress levels increasing and a lot of that's to do with isolation, feeling very anxious about the environments that they're in, the stresses of the family home, it's a very difficult time for parents as well and, and, and young people frequently mention to our counsellors that they worry for their parents and that they don't want to add more stress to their parents in that environment. We have a great privilege at Kids Helpline that parents are often the referral point for young people to use the service. And we really value and appreciate that and understand that the role of Kids Helpline is that safety net role. And that includes in the way that parents actually engage with young people about their help seeking and encourage that help seeking and that access to professionals when they can. On average, our counsellors are receiving 46 contacts a day related to suicide concerns, where young people really express that those thoughts, those feelings are something that they are dealing with, that they are struggling with. And that is a sizeable increase. What we have been able to track during the pandemic is that this really, we can identify the great numbers that are increasing in those communities for whom those lockdowns have taken a lot of time away from the normality of life. So particularly in regions like Melbourne and increasingly now into New South Wales. Of concern is also the amount of presentations of young people where it relates to sexual abuse and year on year, we are seeing increases in the amount of young people here again, who are presenting from those environments where young people are are dealing in unsafe homes, unsafe experiences, and unfortunately, being away from environments of other places of safety, being able to go to school, being able to have those other social contexts, and also being visible to other people has now been removed from some of the most vulnerable children in our community. Again, I I really want to celebrate the strength of these young people to undertake this level of help seeking, to understand that they are not alone, even in isolation. And despite the challenge of having to have instigating the duty of cares in increasing numbers, which our councillors are having to do, uh, up to 620 last month, where our councillors deemed a young person to be an imminent harm, we are also very aware of the, of the help-seeking activities that these young people are undertaking. More broadly, we are certainly continuing to see the mental health, the emotional wellbeing being areas of most significant concern to young people, and also areas where parents are actively seeking to be supported as well. they want to to support their children and they understand the environments are very challenging in that space. And so we're really working hard to continue to promote these resources, encourage the help seeking activities of young people and ensure that as a community we really do take seriously the notion that we are all responsible for the children no matter what homes that they might be living in. And so for us it's very much continuing to promote to parents and to children to care for each other, look out for changes in those behaviours, stimulate conversations and be deliberate about that. And if you're truly worried about young people, ask them how they are going and really seek out the opportunity to engage them in those ways. It's a very difficult space at the moment, I know, for parents sometimes to be able to refer children to professional supports. Uh, but there are those available and we continue to promote and work within an ecosystem of support. So I, I think overall at the moment, our key message very much is applaud, congratulate, promote help seeking, build on the resilience of our young people, acknowledge the stresses that are going on, prioritise what's important. Mental health, emotional wellbeing, they're critically important. They're more important than worrying, we believe, that whether a child is doing their homeschooling to the standard that the school might expect. We have to be balanced in our approach with young people. And I think, as Rani has already mentioned, there's going to be long-term impacts that we have to work our way through. But we have to keep hope alive and we have to celebrate the fact that young people are being resilient and encourage those for whom we are worried about to always know that they're not isolated, that they're not alone, that there are supports available to them. Otherwise, the pandemic will be a pandemic within a pandemic where we absolutely see the very, the most significant issue that I think is going to come from this, the well-being, the long-term well-being of children and young people have a much more dramatic impact than potentially what we are seeing immediately from the pandemic itself. So from uh, our perspective, we continue to promote the voice of children, the experiences of children, and ensure that we are taking a very balanced approach as much as we can across society and recognising what their needs are now and what their needs are going to be into the future as we really think about the way out of the pandemic and the needs of young people, of families, of schools, and our communities to support their health and well-being.
0: Thanks so much Tracy. Um, It is unfortunate to hear so many more children need help but it is great to hear that more of them are um, actively doing the help seeking and that's really um, important as you were saying. Uh, Now we have Dr Ali Fogarty who is a clinical psychologist and research fellow at the Murdoch Children's Research Institute. Over to you Ali.
2: Thanks so much, Rani. And thanks so much for having me here today. I'm really excited to be part of such an important week. Um, I'd also like to start by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the lands which I live and am currently working on, the Wathaurong people of the Kulin Nation here in the Geelong region, as well as the Wurundjeri people where MCRI is located. I'd like to pay my respects to elders past, present, and emerging, um, as well as acknowledge any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander colleagues joining us here today. I'd also just like to start by thanking Tracy for such an informative but hopeful start to the session today. Um, there certainly are some bleak figures coming out around child and adolescent mental health at the moment, but it is really important to have this focus on strength and resilience um, that young people are demonstrating during what is just really a unique and challenging time. Um, the Intergenerational Group, Health Group at MCRI, where I'm from, has been investigating the psychosocial impacts of the pandemic on children parents and families across the last 18 months, including within families experiencing adversity, such as family violence, risk of child maltreatment and interparental conflict. What we have seen and what the border literature tells us is that the COVID-19 pandemic has impacted all of us, but it doesn't impact us all equally. So those who are most vulnerable to the mental and physical health impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic within the community Often those already experiencing social, economic, or health disadvantage, such as pre-existing physical and mental health conditions, social isolation, employment insecurity, or family conflict. Today I'm going to be focusing specifically on the impact of the pandemic on adolescents and young people and drawing from one of one specific study from MCRI um, called the Mothers and Young People Study. This is a large longitudinal study of first-time mothers and their first-born children. Um, And this study began in Melbourne in 2003, and it's about to enter its 18th year. Uh, So why the focus on young people? Adolescence is an incredibly important developmental period where young people are developing a sense of who they are outside of their family unit. They're exploring the world and relationships in new ways. And it's a time where they develop a sense of independence, which sets themselves up to successfully transition into adulthood. And the pandemic has disrupted a number of these pathways, which help develop the sense of identity and independence during this really critical developmental period. But it's also a really important time for early intervention for mental health problems. We know that most mental health difficulties that we see in adulthood emerge before the age of 18. And adolescence is a time where effective strategies to manage stress and difficulties can be promoted to hopefully prevent the onset of more chronic mental health problems, which can persist across the life course. Um, And also we know that positive help seeking experiences during adolescence can set young people up to continue to engage with services as they go through life, which can be really protective. So when the COVID-19 pandemic first commenced last year in in 2020, we decided that it was important to understand how this was impacting young people in Melbourne. And we commenced a COVID-19 sub-study of the the Mothers and Young People study and collected data from our cohort during Melbourne's second lockdown last year. I think as most of you probably know, this is quite a prolonged lockdown and not dissimilar to the lockdowns happening at the moment in Melbourne and Sydney. And as part of this sub-study, we asked young people about their experiences of the pandemic, including remote learning, daily activities, their relationships with family and friends, and we also asked about their health and wellbeing. We use two measures around mental health, one looking at depressive symptoms and one looking at anxiety symptoms. Um, and these measures have demonstrated to have good validity and reliability, but I will just say that they're not diagnostic tools. And so I just want to acknowledge that. They do have what we call clinical cut points, which tells us um, that those scoring or above a certain point are experiencing difficulties which we would consider to be significant. And what we found within our study was that two in five young people were experiencing significant depressive symptoms. One in five were experiencing significant anxiety symptoms. And one in five were experiencing thoughts of suicide or self-harm most or every day. And these were figures that were quite considerably higher than numbers coming out of Australian research prior to the pandemic. In terms of other experiences reported by young people, we found that four and five were reporting an increase in school-related stress. Three and four were reporting feeling overwhelmed and needing more support. Three and four were reporting feeling, reporting more stress within their home life. And two and three were, were reporting more conflict between family members. So we can see here that school and family factors are, are also really important stresses which are co-occurring within the context of this broader pandemic. And we also found that those who were reporting more difficulties within family relationships and those reporting, um, those with a parent who was reporting mental health difficulties either currently or in the past, were also more more likely to experience depressive or anxiety symptoms. And this highlights that point I made earlier, that those with pre-existing vulnerabilities may be more likely to experience mental health difficulties during this time. However, we know that not all young people are struggling during the pandemic, and there are many things that are helping young people stay strong and resilient. And some of the things that we found within our study was that four and five were reporting doing more activities as a family, and four and five were also reporting um, spending more quality time together as a family, and these were viewed as really protective. We also found that factors such as regular exercise, maintaining connections with family and friends, or to be associated with better mental health outcomes for young people. So what these findings mean for a lot of us working with young people, whether that be in schools, case management or therapeutically, is that we know that mental health difficulties are really common at the moment. um, And it's important for us to be talking to young people who we notice might be struggling and work out with, with them whether what they're going through is a normal response to this pandemic that might pass on its own or if their symptoms are something more significant and that they might benefit for some, from some professional support. As Tracy mentioned, a really important message to be sending to young people during this time is that things are really tough and acknowledging that, but they don't have to go through this alone. On a broader level, our research highlighted that there are lots of barriers for young people and their families in seeking help. Um, and within our study, we found that just one in three young people reporting significant mental health symptoms had spoken to a psychologist or counsellor about their difficulties. Um, and as part of this our survey, young people and their mums could comment on things such as help seeking. And what we saw in these comments was that issues were being raised around the length of wait times to get into a school counsellor or private psychologist. Our reluctance from young people to sometimes speak to their parents about these difficulties and therefore not knowing how to seek help Um, and some worries and concerns about the help seeking process. We also know from the border literature and the recent Royal Commission into Mental Health here in Victoria, that there are broad barriers to seeking help around our public mental health system being well at capacity, um, the need for more family inclusive services to address systemic issues often co-occurring within families. um, And as I've said already, these really quite significant wait periods within the private setting and significant out-of-pocket costs which make private mental health services quite um, difficult to access for some families. So these are all issues that really do need some immediate attention so that we can continue to support young people struggling with the pandemic and hopefully as we emerge from this peak over the next few months and come out the other side. But as Tracy did mention, young people are displaying incredible resilience through what's been an incredibly tough 18 months. Um, And I did want to end today by briefly reflecting on what we can draw from the many years of border resilience research, which has been has exploring what keeps children and their families resilient during times of adversity. So what we know is that for those lucky enough to have supportive and safe families, fostering close accepting relationships where young people feel comfortable to reach out and to talk about problems when they arise is really important. And one of the things we know that helps facilitate these types of relationships is really dedicating some one-on-one time to spend with children or young people, doing activities together, whether that be playing sport, cooking, watching a movie, doesn't really matter, but it does need to be time where that parent or significant adult is present and engaged and focus on that activity and the connection with the young person. And for children and young people whose home life is a bit more difficult, we know that just having one positive relationship with an adult, either within the home or outside that home, can make all the difference. And obviously, this can become more difficult with less face-to-face contact with some of the young people we're seeing, but there's still lots of ways that we can facilitate and foster these relationships. And of course, there's other things we know that are helpful in promoting resilience, too. And they're things like keeping regular routines, both for individuals, young people and children, but also as families. Um, Keeping that sense of um, routine going throughout, throughout the pandemic is really important, as well as staying connected to social networks, culture, and community. So I'll hand back to Rani now, thank you.
0: Um, I just want to say thank you, Ali, for that. That was really great. And to hear about some of those systemic barriers, but to also hear about the resilience of young people and what the broader literature shows in that. Lots of threads to pick up. And I'm sure um, Elizabeth will build on some of your advice that you had um, in terms of that one-on-one time and other small sorts of things that we can do in our daily lives to support Children and young people. So, next we have Elizabeth, who is Dr. Elizabeth Seeley Waite, a clinical psychologist and director of the Children's Psychology Clinic, and also a very renowned internationally published researcher. Thanks, Elizabeth. Hi,
3: thank you. Nice to see you today. Um, I first wanted to start uh, by saying thank you for inviting me to speak and to share on this very important uh, discussion. Um, In the spirit of reconciliation, like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this country um, throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea, and community. Today I'd like to pay respect to to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples um, just uh, as we start. Look, we've heard a lot uh, today from very um, learned people who are doing uh, wonderful research and who care deeply, obviously, and quite passionate about um, children. And what they've been going through during this really remarkable time in history. If we take a moment and think, as you know, most of us will be adults. I think on this, um, probably none of us can say we've ever experienced anything quite like what we're experiencing now. You know, most of us are have lived on this planet for a while now. and Maybe we've experienced hard things before, um, you know, personally or professionally, or um, but nothing quite of this level. So if we take a moment and think about what it would be like to be a child, um, hearing bits and pieces about COVID, hearing bits and pieces about illness and death, um, we can, I think, be quite humbled and think about, my goodness, you know, what would it have been like to have had that um, maybe thrown around or all over the place um, growing up? Um, Maybe some of you have experienced some difficulties um, like that, depending on where you grew up in terms of culture or region, but it is an unusual time, and we do need to do some things as parents, carers, and also workers with children um, to help them um, get through this time the best best way they can. So I'm speaking today as mostly a clinician. Um, I am a mother of three, but I am seeing lots of kids, little kids, parents and carers of those kids, and teenagers um, through our practice, um, which is based in Sydney. Um, The help seeking has been incredible, just to echo what we heard earlier. um, We've even had kids call for their own appointments. Never really saw that before. Um, and it is encouraging to see that children, I think, have received a message over time that uh, they are encouraged to seek help. They know that that's normal to get help from others and that that's something that they should do, which is just huge. That's already a huge positive piece, I think, to take home today. Um, we have seen lots of extra anxiety in children, as you can imagine. Um, and kids who maybe had never really had difficulties before are now presenting with anxiety. Um, kids who had had anxiety previously, and maybe we'd worked with them before, they are representing now with more anxiety and perhaps a regression back to where they were previously prior to some work being done. There are lots of things that can be done, um, For kids, and a lot are out there already, and many of us know a lot of them already. But I thought today I could just maybe just hammer in some ideas that maybe you know in your, you know, in your intellect that you should be doing, or that you should be encouraging um, some of the people you work with to be doing but um, I think it'll be important to remind ourselves that we we need to do these things and maybe experiment even um, and do them yourself and see the benefits. Uh, So I'll probably split these up into like the micro things that you can do and the macro things that you can be doing as well. So we'll start with the micro, the little things, and we've all heard of them before, but we really need, I think, to kind of get quite, Uh, diligent and committed to doing some of these things, which include keeping some of that sleep hygiene um, up. Um, Whenever we're working with anybody, that's kind of the first thing you see slipping. And to be honest, you're a little bit like a leaky boat. Um, You can be a beautiful boat. (laughs) You can be one that you're really proud of, but if you've got a leak, um, i.e. you're not sleeping well, um, you've got a big problem. Okay. So we need to encourage um, people we work with, or even ourselves, to make sure our sleep hygiene is good. We're getting enough sleep. We're actually following a routine of sleep. Um, children really, really need that. They need us to model that and they need to be led to having good sleep. Okay, these are habits that can span a lifetime, so we really wanna instill that early. Now, because our routines are all messed about, you could almost see how you could stay up later, you could be watching more Netflix or what have you, and kids too might kinda get a feeling of like, oh, we're on holiday, maybe I can stay up later. I promise you, the benefits outweigh the gains, the immediate gains. Um, You really might be inviting extra problems by not keeping sleep pure as pure as possible when possible um eating eating well eating at the right times still need to happen even in a pandemic this is important these anchor these things anchor our lives and sort of give feedback especially to children about the passage of time and what to expect and what to look forward to um so they've gotten that at school let's not strip them of that Home where possible and clearly it's always very hard to do these things when you're juggling and working trust me I understand um, but we need to try um, and it's good for us too we, we have to get out of the mindset of like I don't have time to have a snack have a snack have a sit-down have a morning tea like they used to get morning tea at school uh, if they're in lockdown right now um, and sit down with them and have uh, that time with them um By the way, i'm probably speaking like everybody's in lockdown. My apologies <laughs> I've been in lockdown a really long time, so I'm kind of in that mindset, but I understand some people are not, which is good. I hope you don't um, play time the the importance of play cannot be you know uh or can be underestimated it can't be overstated so important. so to be honest, if any of you go and see a psychologist, um, that's probably what you're going to get at the very beginning with a child you're going to they're going to tell you to go play with your kid do you really need someone to tell you that maybe you do i'll tell you go play with your kid your kid will appreciate it that is their world that is their joy that is their um their intimacy time with you to show you that to kind of let you in on that so that's really healing and therapeutic to be playing with your child so put the phone down all of that just Trying to get mindful, if you've heard about mindfulness, I'm sure most of you would have, but it's time to get focused on just enjoying and letting go and playing with your kid. That will do a lot for children. Extra cuddles, extra reassurance, there's no problems with that right now. We're living through something where we're really all really stressed, and there's lots of negative messages. We can try to compensate for that by giving extra reassurance and cuddles at this time. Definitely. So these are some of the micro things that I think are really important, and that you've heard before. But I think that are you've got to just know that you've been told today, go and do them, or go and encourage people you work with to go and do, because these are those basics that are really, really important. Um, as was mentioned earlier, having that dialogue, talking, connection—that's our key through this pandemic. It's going to be about children feeling like they've got one person at least that they can connect with. So if you've got you know, a lot of kids or a couple kids, I've got several kids and some teenagers, you know, maybe one's not getting along with one or the other or what have you, you've got to almost keep a little bit of an eye out to see, well, does everybody have at least one person to be talking to and to keep them um, sort of engaged? Um, the macro, we'll go to that for now. Um, I think it's gonna be really important for parents and for those of us working with parents to remember, we've got to shift our expectations. What's important now is yes, like was mentioned earlier, coming through this without an incredible amount of emotional and mental health issues at the end. We could try to prevent some of those things by having and modeling a very different attitude about all of this. You could have an attitude where you bring down expectations for yourself and your work and that kind of thing and instead prioritize time together prioritize play, cuddles, talking, playing games, board night games, those kind of things. Um, Rituals with the family. I think we need to put in, you know, taco Tuesday or uh, we're going to ride bikes on Sunday. We're always going to do that. We're going to do pleasant event scheduling. Like I'm sure most of you have heard of that before, but it's a really basic concept that prevents depression where you basically set up a schedule that you can look at you can see you can pass by maybe it's on your refrigerator and it shows you I've got something to look forward to tomorrow we're going to have you know tacos or I have something to look forward to on the weekend we're going to go for a bike ride on Sunday why wouldn't we put these things down we need to maybe they're small maybe you can't even go for a bike ride because of where you live in your lockdown maybe it has to be we're going to have A picnic with all our stuffed animals on the lounge floor on Sunday. Look forward to that and bring your stuffed animal. We've got to have things like this on calendars for children to be able to see the passage of time, to see that there's something to look forward to, have a future-orientedness about things, and be excited. Be kids. And frankly, it rubs off. It makes us as adults, I think, have a lot more fun too. So that macro mindset, that mindset of like thinking about it in a big way, like perspective basically, we should have some at this point. Let's impart some of that with our kids by modeling perspective. So we're not gonna try to, I think, to get on top of all the academics. We're gonna just try to get through and we're gonna get through as best we can um, mentally and emotionally well, that's the hope. There's um, a few other little things I thought that we might be useful to talk about. Clearly, the word hope actually springs to mind. I think this is probably to me the most important thing I want my kids to get out of this experience and kids that I work with is a sense of hope. I think without that, we're in trouble. So we've got to essentially get there ourselves. As adults, as parents, as carers, as uh, workers with children, we need to find the hope and the feeling of like, we're going to get through this and we're going to be fine. A lot of us have been through hard things and we do know that things get better. It's just going to take time. But we have the, the luxury of remembering those kinds of things where children do not. They live more in the now. They've only had a few years maybe of even being you know, fully uh, you know, individuated or autonomous in their development and feeling like they're separate from you. So that's not very long. They don't have a lot to draw on. We've gotta have that and then impart that through how we um, parent or how we care or how we talk to kids and really thinking about hope as being a number one take home for them when we're working with them. Um I think that probably wraps up mostly what I was wanting to get across today that there's small things that we can do. those small things add up. There's literature actually, research out there. Uh, my colleagues would probably know about that better than me around how little changes, little things that you do can actually even add up statistically to almost equal you know medicine or equal you know a, a very strong therapy. So if you get your sleep and you get your eating and all of that and getting outside and getting fresh air and drinking enough water and all those small things that everybody here has already heard of and knows to do. You do all of that, add them all together. They'll add up to something significant, okay? So that's important to remember. And then this macro approach as well, having a good attitude about what we're getting through. Over to
0: you. Thank you so much, Elizabeth. That was really helpful and those practical tips are so important. Like you, I've been in lockdown for a very long time and um, I think it really resonates with me when you say that, that it's been this ongoing. What I've been hearing from um, Ali and Tracy as well is that this isn't a normal time, and we need to acknowledge that. We need to be able to say that these are really difficult times, and to kind of give adults and children and young people that space to acknowledge the difficulties. Um, I think Tracy said that this, this new normal—it's there's no such thing—and um, I've sometimes referenced to people that. Um, you know, it's almost like when the Titanic was going down and the band's playing and everyone's acting like, we're all fine. There's nothing to see here. But really, there's a lot going on. And it really does help to validate that. So I'd like to bring um, Tracy and Ali back in as well. So we can have a bit of a chat. We've got some great questions coming through. Um, but while they're hopping back on, I might just um, throw to you because at the end, you were talking about those routines that we can set up and that modelling that adults need to be able to do to support children, young people, um, because they might not have had that sort of life experience and, you know, ability to regulate just yet. But there's a question here about, you know, we've heard from the speakers that the pandemic doesn't impact us equally. And have you got strategies about how we help and look out for others, particularly our own children, um, when we may be struggling ourselves? Yeah.
3: I think that's a great point. I think you know, without I didn't say it quite as bluntly as that, but essentially we've got to be well within ourselves in order to really be as uh, helpful as possible. But you don't have to be perfect. You can actually, you know, still be in a work and process like most of us in progress. Um, but I think what we have to do is remember that what you want them to see and appreciate, and kids be able, to, you know, respond, you know, kind of our sponges take in a lot of things. That, um, is our hope for something better, or that even sharing with our kids, I'm getting some help with a psychologist right now, it's really helpful to me, or this is what I'm doing to feel better. You can tell mommy or daddy or whoever isn't feeling so good sometimes. Acknowledging that and showing that you're getting some assistance is huge.
0: Thank you. Um, Ali or Tracy, did you want to add to that at all? Just to say that, um, you know,
2: parents do have it really tough at the moment. Everything that's been going on for the last 18 months has 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 just made their workload so much harder, and navigating all the all of these work concerns, the pandemic, and then having this really big worry about how it's impacting their children too. So I think it's it's really is important to say that it's it's okay if parents aren't feeling okay within themselves at the moment too, but that there is help available for them. Um, and just acknowledging that those little things that Elizabeth talked about that can be beneficial for them in their wellbeing throughout their day, as well as that modelling for their children too. Perfect. And
1: and I guess I'd just make the point that sometimes parents tell children what they think they want to hear versus what children actually are picking up on. So I think there is a need to try and maintain that, that degree of of just openness and honesty because your children are picking up on that and sometimes that's what they'll express to others that I, I, you know, mum and dad tell me this but I really feel and see something quite different to that and it actually creates even more worry for them in that context. So I I think, you know, as has already been stated that that vulnerability as a parent to just acknowledge that, yeah, times are tough and, and I'm feeling it too. Um, and those social structures and those friendships are equally important for parents as they are for children.
0: Mm. That
3: would go a long way to validating, I think, children's experiences by parents actually voicing them as well.
0: Um, We know that children do better when parents are well-supported and I think it is really important to let parents know that they can access services for themselves and to realise that these are really challenging times. It's not a new normal where you can juggle, you know, homeschooling, be the teacher, be a great performer at work and do all the cooking and cleaning and everything else we're expected at the moment. So um, really just, you know, reminding yourselves that it's okay to seek help. Um, I, I guess one related question here is that Parents and, um, are feeling a bit powerless in this situation because we don't know the end. When is this going to resolve? What's going to happen? There's this sense of uncertainty, which we all know isn't great for our brains. Um, and how do you support children and young people through that when you're kind of mirroring their fears? It's quite related to the previous question, I suppose, but did you have any advice um, for, for people who you know might be needing to manage that? And is honesty, as you've just said in the in your responses, is then a good place to start? Elizabeth, maybe I'll start with you again.
3: Sure, sure, yeah, I, I actually really agree with what Tracy had mentioned. I think actually almost it can make you crazy to notice something on a on a, on a a level underneath but then hear something different, right? Like if people aren't matching what's really happening and what you're experiencing. So I'm really uh, interested in, in people, adults, Uh, of of any kind, parents, cares, being honest with kids. I think though, we can't like, we have to remember their developmental level, but I think honesty and being authentic with children is always the right way.
0: Tracy, did you wanna add anything to that
1: or? I was just going to say, I think it is the uncertainty that often triggers some of, you know, a lot of the anxiety and, and at the moment the way that, you know, we get these reports every day and it, and it doesn't actually talk about the way out, the way forward and, and I think some of the balance around conversation and, and the way that, you um, you know where things are being presented not just to children but to the community we still haven't had this rounded conversation and, and and material is incongruent from one day to the next and depends on where you live and none of that is helping to 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 minimize anxiety and and i think that's something that you know I, I think our leaders have got to really start to understand that that what is actually what that's leading to is a sense of perpetuating the uncertainty and, and the loss of hope that Elizabeth said, which is what we see and has us most concerned in the way young people are presenting.
0: Hmm. Ali, did you want to add anything to that?
2: Just to emphasize that uncertainty as, as humans were pretty terrible at tolerating uncertainty. Um, it's a really, a really big challenge. Um, and with the pandemic at the moment, there is so much uncertainty, but i think going back to some of the points that elizabeth was making before that yes we don't know what's going to happen in you know next month or the month after but hey if we know we're going for this bike ride on sunday that creates that little bit of certainty within an uncertain world so keeping those routine structures can can be really important just to help kids feel a bit more centered in that in what is a very uncertain time
0: thank you um ali could you just um on that note um explain to our audience that what that sort of routine does for the child's brain, I suppose, like what is actually happening in giving children? Because I think sometimes these things become a bit trite. It becomes a bit like, oh, you've got to maintain a routine. You've got to make sure that they go to bed. And it just sounds like as a parent myself, um, okay, that's just something I've got to do, but to deeply understand the benefit of it might help parents and um, some of the you know, workers that we've got on the line today um, understand and then be able to enact it more. So if you've got any thoughts on what that's actually doing.
2: Well, I think it's doing a few different things. One of those things that it's doing is just creating a bit of certainty within and structure, which can lower anxiety levels on an everyday basis. The other thing that it does is it creates activities for young people to be engaging in or children to be engaging in. And we know that activities and and particularly exercise or spending time outdoors does a lot to lower those anxieties and depressive levels as well. Um, So there's a few different things going on
0: there. Thank you. Elizabeth, did you have anything you wanted to add to that?
2: Um,
3: yeah, look, I think there's something about uh, having something to look forward to that I, I, I don't know if anybody here has dogs, but even your dog will start to get used to um, a certain time being able to be let out or to be fed or what have and get excited. And there's literature in relation to having some endorphins, actually, when you sort of see the, oh, an anticipation of something like in your schedule that's on the refrigerator. If your child walks past and sees, oh, you know, and maybe there's a picture of him bike riding on Sunday or something, I've got that to look forward to. You do get experience a little bit of joy in that moment. And those little sparks of joy mean a lot, actually, and give you a sense of like future orientedness and hope and understanding of, you know, today's Wednesday. All I've got is a few more days. Maybe today is hard. But on Sunday, I'm going to have a good time. That's uh, really good for your brain and for your, you know, emotional well-being.
0: Excellent, thank you. Um, something a little bit harder um, that does relate to what we've been hearing in the media, though. Um, Ali and Tracy, you'd both uh, raised the fact that there are increasing levels of self harm being reported and um, children and young people uh, discussing this and reaching out around this issue. It's definitely been covered in the media as well. And I know um, our questioners are uh, suggesting that they're getting material from schools and other places outreaching to say, you know, if, if you're experiencing issues, um, these are helplines, these are supports. But I I guess from a parent's perspective, this question is asking um, that while it definitely needs to be discussed and highlighted, how do you empower your children to not even consider it as a choice for themselves? If this is something that's a young, um, I think this is an early high school um, child that this person is talking about, and how do you help them recognise symptoms in their peers? So empower them to kind of understand the issue but not necessarily take it on. Um, Any advice for how parents deal with this best and or um about service providers if you're providing this information to parents what's a good way to frame it for them? Um, I might start with you, Tracy.
1: One of the things that we often use is if if parents and, and the media, as you say, that this has been highly topical and I know it's an area of concern, is to use those conversations, but actually do it in a way where you seek out the resources together and there are sites like our own and Beyond Blue and Reach Out and Headspace, many others, where this material has been developed and it's quite child and young person focused and go through that material together and talk about it and, and engage with each other. It's a great great way to, to almost share those conversations and, and, and unpack what they might look like because we know a lot of young people actually help seek for their friends. And and that building that capacity for them to do that is something that we also recognise. But but I think putting yourself in the space to to have the conversation, but do it in a way where you can actually use material that's been developed for that age cohort. And and there are things available right from very young children right through to sort of more young adults and teens. And that age relevant material is, is something that can be shared together.
0: Thank you. Um, Ali, did
1: you have anything you wanted to add to
0: that?
2: Yeah, probably just echoing what Tracy's saying is that there is a whole heap of great resources out there. Um, There's great resources for parents to have these conversations themselves with their young people, you know, even just knowing how to start that conversation can be um, quite anxiety-inducing for some parents and reading through and getting informed about what are the best ways to, to approach that can be really useful and can empower parents within that role. And then navigating through some of those resources for the young people to have those conversations with their friends, too, because we do know that friends are most likely the people who um, young people who are experiencing some of these difficulties are going to go to first. Perfect. Elizabeth.
3: Oh, look, I couldn't say it any better than these two. That makes (laughs) sense.
0: Excellent, thank you. Um, We've got a question about, um, now that we're looking at emerging, hopefully, from this at some point in the near future and children returning to school. Obviously there's been a real stress and disconnect from their peers, from their learning and having to adapt to life at home and homeschooling and you know, the challenges of that. Now to go back to school and some children might be experiencing bullying or other concerns, some might have a big gap in their learning. There's some anxieties for children in this. What would be your recommendations for, I guess, all three groups in terms of children and young people themselves, parents in supporting children and young people. And if we've got, you know, um, early childhood providers or school um, staff online today in in supporting this transition back to to being at school and engaging with people again and peers in particular. Um, Elizabeth, I'll start with you.
3: Okay, well, look, if there were identified issues with the child at school, um, or teenager at school like bullying, or if the school identifies that there's some vulnerable children coming back. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot that schools can do to prevent these issues to reemerge or to get worse. We know mm-hmm. that kids are gonna be all a bit stressed. We've just been talking about that. And coming back to school, they're all gonna have levels of anxiety and uncertainty. So I think schools need to do a little bit of uh, preemptive work around kids who they identify as vulnerable coming in. That would do a lot. So, you know, some small things might be in the classroom if they're younger children, making sure that they're paired up with buddies, for example. Making sure that they reiterate the need for children to be, you know, uh, you know, safe in the classroom and that some behaviors will be not tolerated. Um, when, when kids are older, as teenagers, and you've identified that some of them are, are more vulnerable, I think you're going to need to have these welfare checks with these teens pretty regularly. I would be doing that if I were working at a school because I would be thinking about where where'd they just come from, what was life like at home, was there domestic violence, was there, you know, they've just been in a at home without having much like um, Tracy had said, other people seeing them. So I'd be sort of checking in with them as much as I could.
0: Um and just any advice for children or young people in how parents might be talking to them about what, what's coming up and going back to school?
3: Yeah. Yeah, look, I think for younger kids, I think it might depend a little bit on the child, but I think that you need to prepare them a little bit. Obviously, I think we could you could with little kids, my have got one little kid, I'd probably do some sort of role plays and sort of reminders of like what Is expected at school because I don't know about other people, but my little one has probably unlearned a lot of social skills in the last (laughs) 10 weeks or so. So Um, I'll be working on that about how to be quiet or sit still and that kind of thing. That'll be interesting. But as they get older, I think those have to be conversations more of asking basically your teenager what they're looking forward to and what they're not looking forward to and trying to engage and talk about what the issues are that they perceive will be problematic.
0: Excellent. Um, Tracy or Ali, did either of you want to add anything to that?
1: Uh, I think it's really almost treating it the same as Elizabeth said, that, that whole development of start having the conversation once you know that this timeline's getting up, almost re-establish the routine of going to school in advance, and and really you know encouraging children to start preparing to return to those environments because you know there's there's going to be almost some anxiety about going back to school they haven't seen people for a long time and perhaps just even acknowledging and and creating the space where you just acknowledge that it's going to take time to re, to to just resocialize back into environments where they haven't been in many cases for quite extended periods of time and just those period of adjustments, the whole checking in, um, you know, how is things going? And just recognising, acknowledging that everyone's going to have to find their space. It's like people returning back into the office. It's taken time for a lot of people just to to, to get back into that space. And so I think we've just got to be mindful that, that children and young people are going to have exactly that same experience and, um, and, and to, to create that environment of preparation Um, acknowledgement and checking in and then just working through that and and, and not having unreal expectations that you simply go from homeschooling for months on end straight back to school and everything reverts back to exactly the way that it was before. Um, I think that's going to be highly unlikely and just as we've seen in workplaces, that's not really the way things have been. Excellent,
0: Ali, did you want to jump in with anything at all?
2: Just to say that, you know, we did find in our study that lots of young people were reporting homeschooling to be less stressful, well, some young people anyway, and that there was some pros for them and that those young people in particular are gonna find that transition back to school um, quite anxiety and and normalising that and that it is going to be strange to be in a classroom with a whole heap of people all of a sudden and it might be harder to concentrate, there might be difficulties reconnecting with friends um, or reconnecting with people you haven't seen for a while or with teachers um, and and problem solving with them, you know, what would make this easier for you as as we're going transitioning back.
0: Thank you. And I think um, what I've heard from all of you there is really very much about the fact that it will be challenging for people to be aware of that for schools to also perhaps allow that space that while we, you know, the educators might be really focused on that gap that might have been, you know, um, inequitably found between different um, students, depending on what support they had at home, to really kind of allow some space for the social and emotional skills to come back in. And there's connections and the networks um, before we jump right into how we're all doing with our math. So um, I think that's a good message to take off. Um, I'm conscious of time and I know lots of people on the um, questions are really asking for those practical takeaways. I know you have all mentioned um, some really good ones already but I would like to give you the time to be able to say You know, advice for teachers and educators because we've got a lot of people from the education um, sort of service sector online today, and also people wearing the parent hat as well. So, any um, really practical, I guess takeaways of what people can be doing to support children and young people right now um, and any resources or services that you want to um, tell people about as well, we're happy to put that in the chat box, but also everyone will get a recording of this webinar and we'll send an email with those resources. So um, Ali, I'll start with you if there's anything that's a key takeaway and any resources that you want to reference.
2: Look, I think the thing that I'll just say is really for, for parents around having the conversations around mental health and potentially thoughts of suicide, if that's a concern that's on their mind at the moment. Um, and that just letting parents know that it's really okay to have those conversations. Um, and the most important thing within those conversations is just to be there for that young person and, and to um, listen to them without judgment. And that's that's the best thing that you can do in that situation. Um, And there's resources, Headspace in particular has some great resources around how to start those conversations, which could be really useful.
0: Perfect. Thank you, Tracy.
1: Absolutely agree and that whole conversation piece has, has been a piece that the Mental Health Commission have, have really promoting and if you go to the Head to Health website organisations like Headspace, Reach Out, Kids Help Helpline, all of us have made us have resources available for one location and um, because starting those conversations can be difficult and, and it's creating the space, be deliberate and, and no matter how hard it might be, the young person truly will appreciate the fact that that people have been deliberate in creating that space for that conversation. And maybe it doesn't happen the first time, but it might happen the second or the third or the fourth. And, And just be there and accept the fact that even when you ask the first time, you may not get anything back, but you've put yourself into that vulnerable position to ask. And that goes a long way. And the only other comment that i just reinforce is that the whole self care of a parent, is so integral to, to the confidence of the child and I don't think we should underestimate and it's not selfish and it's not anything other than to be a good parent requires people to to just have their own space and to use their networks and the social structures around
0: them. Thank you. Um, Elizabeth.
3: I just love what uh, they both just said. I, I feel like that makes so much sense and so important. The only thing that I feel like we haven't said today that I think Worries me, um, sometimes our um, the access to you know, everybody's access to a lot of people have access to the internet and kids are on their devices a lot right now, etc that we're all in survival mode and it makes sense. I think we've all thrown out the window. oh no you know no more than three hours a day or what have you. but um, I just want to put out there that there probably needs to be a really, really strong uh, consideration around parental controls at home. Through the devices. Um, I'm seeing little, little kids um, with difficulties and huge disturbing issues now having stumbled across things that they didn't realize they'd be looking at. And then all the way to, you know, preteens and teenagers who are being groomed. Um, online, because they're they're just on their device for so long, and bored, and being led here and there. So mm-hmm. I just think that that needs to be something that, because it's not that safe. You might think, oh, my kids are all at home, they're safe. But actually, this is a, a gateway to some difficulties I'm seeing across the board, across all ages right now.
1: And the Safety Commission has some great resources in that space as well yeah what was it sorry say it one more time the e commissioner's website has great resources um, to help parents and of course the thing is that you know those privacy settings on your devices it's a great opportunity to to, to everybody in the household to do a little bit of um upskilling on, on all the things that that, that keep our, our children safe at home um, because unfortunately as Elizabeth said there there are increases Um, in the grooming and and unfortunately, online behaviours towards children.
0: Mm. Thank you, that was a really important point to raise, Elizabeth, and we will include um, links to the eSafety Commission's resources in our um, handouts as well. And um, I I guess I just want to wrap that up by saying that what I've heard from all of you is really important to start the conversations, even if you're a bit fearful about having them, it's really important to have a go. There's resources to support you in doing that as an adult. Um, And as an adult, it's important to look after your own self and do some self-care in order to be able to be there um, for the child or the young person, a bit like the aeroplane, put on your mask before you try and help someone else. Um, So do look out for yourself, it's not selfish. There are really great websites where there's support and like I said it's in the chat box and we'll email you as well so you'll have those um, links and to set your expectations to a realistic level. Um, We are in really difficult and challenging times, this is not a normal situation, it's okay to reach out and have conversations, it's okay to take time out for yourself um, and to you know just do what makes sense for you and your family in the situation you're in um, and to reach out for help where you need. So to to kind of understand that this isn't normal and that's okay. Um, So I thank you all for your time today, Tracy, Allie and Lisbeth. That was a really great conversation, really insightful and I'm sure our um, attendees took away a lot. Um, That's all we have time for, but it's not the end of the conversation. I hope that everyone that was online will be able to take away some of what we've learnt together in their work and in their life, because I know some of you are parents as well. We will be posting recordings of all these webinars to the NAPCAN website. We've had a whole suite of them across the week, so please do check out our website. Um, And you will receive an email of this specific one with a link to any of the materials I mentioned before. There is a short survey that'll pop up when you close this webinar. Do stop by and give us that feedback. We'd love to know what you enjoyed and what you might wanna see in future. And thanks so much again to Tracy, Ellen, and Elizabeth. We gained so much from their expertise. Um... As this is the last webinar of National Child Protection Week, I just want to acknowledge all the thousands of people who've gotten involved with this campaign this year. Um, We've had so many people involved right across Australia. We've been really fortunate to have some really important discussions with lots of experts this week. and And so we really encourage everyone to keep these conversations going so that every child in every community can have a fair go. Most of all, I'd like to thank all the children who've contributed their ideas for what they would like to see their communities look like um, through their beautiful artworks. You can see these artworks on our website or through the link that's been placed in the chat box already. Um, We will be sharing that on social media as well, so keep an eye out. Um, And now to that promised little treat that I mentioned right at the beginning, a message from Maggie Dent. For anyone who doesn't know, Maggie is an Australian parenting author, educator and speaker. She is the host of ABC's Parental As Anything podcast, which I personally love and get a lot of value out of. So check it out if you haven't already. Maggie has generously made a short video in support of National Child Protection Week this year, in which she shares some tips for parents in lockdown and generally in the midst of All this pandemic madness and stress. I'll leave you with this video after which the webinar session will close. Maggie's video will be available on social media so please share away once you find that. Thank you so much and stay safe.
4: It is National Child Protection Week and we know that there are times that things happen in our lives as parents, as family members and as school communities and community communities, where things happen that are out of our control. And that's exactly what's been happening with this pandemic. And so while there's a lot in the media that is kind of instilling more fear in us all as grown-ups, our children are picking it up as well. So I just want to give you a couple of suggestions to sort of help our little ones and our tweens and our teens, because remember they do not have a prefrontal lobe that's complete that helps them manage things in a really sensible, mature way. Heck, we need to be honest, don't we? We've been struggling with managing and coping. So not only have we been living with a possible threat to survival, which wires up our amygdala and keeps us looking really a bit anxious, but we're also suffering many layers of grief because there's so many things we've missed out on. And for all parents out there whose children have missed significant things, and we know there's heaps of them, Try not to dwell on it, but also let it be okay for them to feel sad and for you to feel sad because that's what grief is. It's loss not just about a loved one, it's about experiences that usually bring us great joy. So this is the secret I wanna bring to you today. No matter how difficult it is, for children and tweens and teens, I want you to focus on how can we create pockets of joy. Now, I am a really passionate educator, but I also know that there are times you just cannot teach stressed brains. No, you just can't. And if you try to force it, you make it worse. So remember every now and then, if you create some uh, fun activities or do some fun exercise together, and seriously, how can us parents look silly doing exercises? It's really easy. And all the grandparents out there, well, it's even easier for us, what you do is you trigger you trigger laughter, you trigger joy, you trigger the opposite side of the brain to the stress side. Yep, so fun, laughter, being ridiculous, going on a bear hunt, even to your 15 year old. Seriously, go on a bear hunt, we're going on a bear hunt, we're going to catch a big one. Honest, they'll roll their eyes but they'll get a kick of joy. So if we step up in that space, and that means there are times I want you to consciously find things that make your children laugh. Um, just the other day, I sat with my grand <laughs> granddaughter and we watched um, Snail on the Whale or the Whale on the Snail or the, something like that. That's beautiful on ABC Kids. And it was just magical. We snuggled up together and watched something that was beautiful. So I want you to think... Joy can come in, in funny, silly ways, but joy can come by watching something together snuggle together on the couch. So seriously, family movies in the middle of the afternoon, a uh, big bowl of popcorn, absolutely do that and then get back to what you might need to do to tick all the other boxes of you know learning from home or having to be <laughs> running and working from home. So joy and delight. And the second one, hope. How do we build hope? Okay, so hope is really a big one at the moment because we don't know when this pandemic's going to finish, which is actually not good for our heads, even if you've got a prefrontal lobe. If we knew when it was going to finish, we can really start aiming towards it. So, because we don't have that, we do have the ability to dream up and create possibilities for when it does finish of freedoms, adventures, camping trips, Uh, trips to ice cream shops anything you like have a great big space where your kids can say this is where we're going to go this is what we're going to see this is what we're who we're going to see so if they can have all these pictures and photos and drawings you know all over a giant big huge piece of paper on the wall they are going to see that and it's going to remind them of the hope that is coming and then the last tip i have is even though everything has been really difficult every now and then teach your children those moments what are you grateful for today because I know spring is coming yep and that warmth the birds are singing more loudly the skies are clearer so let your kids start focusing on the things that we already have that are beautiful yep and who in their life are they grateful for having there What can they do that expresses that gratitude of their friendships and their family, no matter where they are? And always, always encourage them to actually have conversations, whether it's Skype, FaceTime, Zoom, on the phone, real words to real people they love. Goodness, all those things, what I call pick up the human spirit and everyone's spirit needs a bit of a tonic right now. And it's okay have a sneaky Tim Tam every now and then. I hope that's helped a little tiny bit because I know down the track, we are going to be able to enjoy our lives with freedoms that we've had taken away from us and you need to let our kids know this too. Let's look for the joy, the fun, the hope, the gratitude. Yeah, go for it. We can do this that together we can do hard things.